This is episode 228 of IDRA Class Notes. The ability of somebody to engage with technology is going to determine the level of engagement they can have in the community. And it's much more so true now in the you know digital age, 21st century, than a generation ago. So digital inclusion, it's a very important area to explore when you're thinking about kids and being engaged and being citizens. And you ask, like, whose responsibility is it? And it's all of ours. Hi, everyone. Welcome to IDRA's Class Notes podcast. This is our second installment of our digital inclusion conversation where we pick up talking about the digital divide regarding digital literacy. My name is Christina Munoz, and I'm an Education Policy Fellow with IDRA. And today we are joined in conversation by Munita Jester with the National Digital Inclusion Alliance. So I can give an opportunity to have you introduce yourself to the listeners. Yeah, sure. Hi, everybody. Um, Thank you guys for inviting me. I always get excited when I get an opportunity to talk about digital inclusion and in the work I've been having the privilege to explore for the last six years. So, you know, I am originally from Brazil. That's the fun accent you hear there. And now I live in San Antonio, Texas, and I've been in digital inclusion space. I'm working as the intern, research intern with the Federal Reserve a Bank of Dallas in San Antonio. And as a Google fellow and as an intent fellow and as a Connect Home coordinator for public housing and you know, work for the city on housing policy. So now I just recently joined the National Jewish Inclusion Alliance. So it's been an exciting road. Yes, and again, Munita, congratulations on your newly uh, secured position with the National Digital Inclusion Alliance. And I was hoping you can give a little bit more background on what your position is at the Inclusion Alliance and what your role is, what you do. Yeah, it's brand new, it's just a week. I guess, yeah, just a little over a week now. The National Jewish Inclusion Alliance is a small and mighty organization that, you know, everybody kind of have an opportunity to, to support each other and work on kinds of projects. So I'm really, my main projects right now are really helping other cities and other states create their digital inclusion coalition. So there is a movement nationally for organizations and communities to come together around digital inclusion and creating a coalition to really leverage, you know, resources and think more critically about digital equity. And the digital inclusion coalition model is one that most of this community has identified to engage. So I'm working with communities in Pennsylvania, New York, some in California, some cities in California. So uh, it's been exciting. There's other things that everybody gets to work on and help and policy and data and all things to include That's fantastic. And I know that Thomas and I, we started our fellowship in November and we became really excited about working on issues related to the digital divide. And you were one of our first advocacy partners we met with and you taught us a great deal about digital literacy and how that was a big component of solving the digital divide. And I was hoping you can give our listeners a little bit more background on what digital literacy means, um, what it is and how it's important to solve Solving some of the equity issues related to the digital divide here in the state of Texas, but also nationally. 
Yeah, I feel digital divide is such a, it's a big problem, right? We're trying to to adjust in so many ways. And I always, you know, that, that say it takes a village is also true here. So digital divide is the big problem, is the big concept of the problem, but there is, you know, sub categories of areas. So there's digital literacy, having the ability to act within the digital space is that's, you know, is commonly known as digital literacy. And then, you know, we know about the Access to broadband is the other problem and that they're, you know, and it's access to computer devices. So for, for me, I always think that digital literacy is almost like the last talked, last focus area of the digital divide in digital inclusion work, just because I don't think a lot of people has actually done a training and provided training, inviting people that don't have the skills to participate in class. So digital literacy, I would like to say is a digital skills training now we're changing. I hear a lot of like terminology change to digital learning. It's one of, you know, another ways to put it because digital literacy, again, you ask like, what's a digital literate person is a scale, right? You know, if you can send an email and receive an email, if you can open attachment or put an attachment, an email, can you search? There's no standards for what a digital literate person is. And I almost feel like you shouldn't be and not across the board because a digital literate person as a school, as a middle school kid, is going to be very different than, you know, a senior or than somebody in the workforce. So, you know, technology is constantly changing and we are all at the digital divide. We are all working our digital skills, you know, as a constant change and you are constantly adapting to the reality of technology and different tools. So digital skills is one of those areas that you need a lot of like revision, you know, what is going on right now and identify fake news. Is that part of digital literacy, right? Engaging in, in the city or in your, with your government is also be part of your digital literacy skills as everything's moving online. So there's no definition of what a digital literate person is, but there are certain things that we can talk about, like everybody should be able to send an email or do a search and find where a doctor is. So it's a very fluid area, but it's very difficult to get somebody from never having a computer and getting them an email. Like people don't realize you have to first to teach them and show them how to turn on a computer. Where is the button to turn? Where's the browser? What is the browser? Where do you put the address? You know, so there's a lot of steps involved just to get to open an email and have an email, there's so much a person has to learn just to catch up to that point. And I feel like sometimes in a conversation about, you know, the digital inclusion space, people forget that the point from never having a computer to having an email and using it efficiently, it's a big learning curve. Thank you so much. You offered so many great points just now. I think part of the direction I want to go in the conversation is talking about how digital citizenship actually plays a part uh, in digital literacy, ensuring students can navigate digital technologies, online programs, and even online media safely and responsibly. And I was hoping you can talk a little bit about that, but also expound upon the point that, you know, who is really responsible for promoting digital literacy, promoting digital citizenship, who decides on these kinds of guidelines and from your perspective? It's a very good question. Because, you know, digital literacy, the ability of somebody to engage with technology is going to determine the level of engagement they can have 
in the community. And it's much more so true now in the, you know, digital age, 21st century than a generation ago. So digital inclusion, it's a very important area to explore when you're thinking about kids and being engaged and being citizens. And you ask like, whose responsibility is it? And it goes back, it's all of ours, you know, as friends, as parents, especially schools and and government to provide the skills, to provide the knowledge. Okay, so when you're in this space, not only where do you go to find information, but how do you behave in that space, right? What image are you giving out and what information you're taking in and figure out what information is better than others, but also making sure that people, I guess, especially youth, have the tools to engage in the area. And, you know, we talked about, you know, consume information, but also produce information because being a citizen is not just nowhere to go to vote and how to find resources, but also to make your voice heard. And that in the digital world is very difficult and can be intimidating. And I feel like in schools and with talking about youth, people like, oh, they can do Snapchat. They know Twitter or they play, you know, Minecraft. So they're say digital natives. And I really don't like that terminology at all. There's, I don't think there's anybody that's digital native. You know, again, we talk about digital literacy and, and digital skills. We're always changing. There's always a new application. There's always a new program. There's something is always changing. So the idea that digital native, you know, when you say that about youth, you're almost like, oh, we don't need to teach them anything because they have a phone and they know how to play things or they have a video game. So they already know everything. And sometimes I feel, you know, the older generation will say that and because they have a little more difficult adjusting to some of the changes, but citizenship, it's online. I'm pretty sure eventually we're going to do, you know, voting online and a lot of our resources and as a citizen, it's online. So it's really the ability of finding information, but also to provide feedback and have your voice heard and engage with government. So it's a big part. Yes. And that's such a great point about it's a community effort and the way to get or to bridge anyway, the digital divide, it will take the community, it will take industry leaders, it'll take school leaders, family members, all to to get to the point where we are a digitally inclusive society. And I'm wondering from your perspective, what that could look like and what would that look like when we're finally there to a digitally inclusive society? That question, it always got me thinking, I'm like, no, it has to be more than, than what my ideas of digitally inclusive society looks like. But at a basic level, I feel like a digital inclusive society, it's really a society that's not afraid of technology. You know, we're not afraid to use it and use it to innovate. And we're using it to to do everything things, but we also have the option to not use it, right? Because what happens now is that people don't use it because they don't have the option, because they don't know how, or because they don't have all the tools. So it's really providing people the choice. If you feel more comfortable to go online and do, you know, what you need to do and work and, and create, you have that opportunity. But, you know, it's totally fine. The people that are not going to want to do that. They really want to go see another person. So I feel a digital inclusive society is a society that thinks about not only the people that prefer and wants and has the ability to use technology, but it's also providing the platform for the people that that might not want to, but they can. And they are not using it not just because they can't afford. They may not use it because they don't want to. 
it's a society that embraces technology, you know, tech for good. I love that that little catchphrase is really using technology to to create an event. So I'll leave it to that. And that was a very limited answer. And I'm sure we can do so much more, but it's really giving people the ability to use it if they want to. Well, thank you for um, all of the gems you've been dropping throughout this conversation. We just want to thank you for your time. While we're kind of wrapping up this conversation about digital literacy and digital citizenship and some of the ways we can get to a digitally inclusive society, I kind of wanted to pivot the conversation a little bit to what policy recommendations do you have for local, state, level policymakers, industry leaders, community members to to promote digital literacy and bridge the digital divide? As a community, we have to figure out what role do you play? You know, we all have a role to play in digital inclusion, right? So as a nonprofit or as a business, as a government, as a local government, state government, we all have community, we have a different piece of the puzzle. But in terms of government, I feel, especially now with COVID, like realizing that access to technology and the the digital divide, people now can see what we've been talking about for years, right? That it's affecting people's ability to stay home, right? So with the city, I had the privilege to work at the housing department and making sure that our programs and what we are not only letting people know about the programs, the people engage with city programs and and access resources, think about like who are reaching out and in the age of pandemic and how is the digital divided people going to communities, going to access those resources. So think about that from the beginning in every policy and every program and every community engagement effort. It's critical to think about the digital divide when we do comprehensive planning. And when we engage in the community, when we create a program and policy wise, you know, there's a number of ways and other cities and other you know state governments are engaged in this area. And I mean, the biggest thing for me since I, I got stumbled upon digital inclusion was that don't be afraid to innovate and think differently. Right. Because this is a field that, you know, there's not one size fits all. And governments, you know, pass legislation that allows city to own their their broadband, but also allow for, you know, greater competition for providing that service and really recognizing that as essential infrastructure. It's critical, I think, for any any government to play a role. So cities can do interlocal agreement and if they have a network, right, that other organizations can come together and expand that network. So there is ways, there are creative ways for government to play a bigger role in this and, um, and you just, you just have to be willing to innovate, really, and push the envelope a little further. Uh, that was the perfect punctuation to this conversation. We need to continue having these conversations, these very critical conversations about solutions driven towards equity. So we thank you again for your time and energy, which we know are invaluable. And we wish you so much success on your new journey with the National Digital Inclusion Alliance. Thank you again, Munita, for joining us to have this conversation. Thank you, guys. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to IDRA Class Notes. For more information on IDRA and other Class Notes topics, go to www.idra.org. You can also send us your thoughts by email to podcast at idra.org.